Well, open your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. We have been going through <clears throat> the mystery passages in Paul's letters. And so if you've, been, if you've been here for a lot of Sunday nights, if you've been uh, listening perhaps online to the rec- recordings, uh, you know that Paul uses this word mysterion multiple times in his letters. And when Paul uses this word, it's usually translated as mystery. But for our understanding of what a mystery is, it's not exactly the same for what Paul uh, is using, how Paul is using the word. And so our understanding of a mystery is typically something that's not fully understood or fully known. But when Paul talks about a mystery, Paul is, is understanding it as it's something that was kept hidden, but yet it's been God's plan all along. And so as we've seen, everybody has basically given that same definition for the last couple of weeks. You're probably already tuning out. Uh, but this is what's been true all along. But yet, we've only realized the truth of it through Jesus. Because I think we would all understand that a lot of the Old Testament makes more sense when we understand it through the lens of Jesus. There's a lot in the Old Testament that we can get caught up on, get confused with, and, and kind of you know, lose our bearings. But when we understand it through seeing Jesus, how Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament, a lot of it makes way more sense. And again, so we want to see this, this evening this mystery of Christ in you. So our passage is going to be uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 24, and we will read down to the end of the chapter. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the mystery that Paul talks about tonight, or that we will talk about tonight, is that Christ dwells in his people. Now, the book of Colossians was written to a primarily Gentile audience, And the way that we know this is because there are no illusions or no references to the law. If Paul was writing to Jewish people, he would have have definitely always gone back to the law and make an appeal to the law because the Jewish people would understand the law. They would understand how it's used, that God gave it to his people. And so Paul would start there and then move and start to explain how Jesus uh, uh, brings the law to fulfillment. But Paul never mentions the law in the book of Colossians. And so we take that to mean that he's not writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to Gentiles. We also know, based on verse 27, he says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. 
So Paul is talking to people who are not familiar or may not be familiar with the Old Testament. But you and me, we may be more familiar with the Old Testament. And, and we've been in church for a while. And so one of the things that, I, that you notice in the Old Testament is that God dwells among his people. And there's a couple passages that I wanna read to you. You don't have to turn there. But Exodus chapter 25 says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves, you shall receive the contribution from me. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So this is all happening after God has, has freed his people from slavery in Egypt. And they are now in the wilderness and God is now giving them instructions on how to set up the tabernacle. And this is a tent-like structure that, that the people of Israel are going to build and God will dwell in their midst in the tabernacle. And so everywhere they go, they're instructed to take down the tabernacle, move it with them, set it back up, and that is the place where God is going to be present with his people. So God is present in the midst of his people. But then again, in 1 Kings chapter 8, we read, when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So this is the temple that Solomon built. And it's clearly, it says clearly here that the, God's glory was filling the place. And so again, we understand that this is a, a one location. It's the temple that's been built. And that is where God's glory dwells. And God is among his people. The people dwell in the midst of the temple. And so one of the things that hopefully you're, you're already noticing is, is a huge difference is that in the Old Testament, God is dwelling among his people. And now in the New Testament, what Paul is saying here is this mystery that Christ is dwelling in his people. So it goes from dwelling among to now dwelling in. So, but this is not a completely foreign concept to the New Testament because their God had prophesied through his prophets, specifically Joel, that this day would come. Uh, the book of Joel, chapter two, uh, we recently covered it in our Minor Prophet series. Uh, Joel says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So this is what the prophet Joel was prophesying was going to happen, that God, there was gonna come a day when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. Now we know that this is referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit because Peter, in his sermon at Pentecost, quotes this passage after the Holy Spirit had come and indwelled them. So we know that, that God was, even through the prophets, long before Jesus ever walked the earth, long before the Holy Spirit was indwelling his people, God was saying and announcing through the prophets that this was going to happen. So again, you see this idea of mystery in, in Paul's sense of the word. This has always been the case. God has always planned to dwell in his people, but it's not fully understood and fully realized until we understand it through the lens of Jesus. So the first thing I want us to look at is the truth of the mystery. Okay, the truth of the mystery. Look at verses 26 and 27 again. 
Paul, uh, back up to verse 25, sorry. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, that is to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want y'all to notice the things that Paul says about this mystery, all right? First, he says in verses 26 and 27 that it was hidden for ages and generations, but now it is revealed to his saints. One of the wonderful things about scripture is that it continues to reveal things to us. We say that scripture is inexhaustible in that we could read the same passage of scripture every day our entire life and never exhaust the meaning of it. There is so much meaning, there is so much that we can learn from a passage of scripture that we are going to continually always be learning. And it's in the same way, this truth that God dwelling in his people has always been there. It's always been the truth that God was planning to do. But yet it's only through, through Christ that it's being revealed to us. If we only have the Old Testament, we might not walk away understanding clearly that Christ dwells in his people. We may have an idea, maybe from that Joel passage, we could kind of assume that maybe that's what he's getting at, but with Jesus, it's made crystal clear. But he is revealing it to his saints. And this reminds me of the opening words of John's gospel. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You see, Jesus is being described by John's gospel as the word. This is how God is communicating to us is through his son, Jesus. Jesus is making things known to us that we would have not previously understood. And this is one of those things. This is why Paul calls it a mystery. It, it's always been God's plan to dwell in his people. We see allusions of it in the Old Testament with him dwelling among his people. There are even specific instances in the Old Testament where God fills his, his people with his spirit. And so we're seeing even more specific instances of this happening, and it's all pointing to the fact that once Jesus ascends and his people believe in him, he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. It's hidden for ages and generations, but now it's revealed to the saints. But, but look at what he also says. He says, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Not only is this mystery revealed to the Jews as God's chosen people, but it's being revealed to the Gentiles as well. Those who are not God's chosen people in the Old Testament, they are being, it's being revealed to them. But it also said, he also says, what are the riches of the glory of his mystery? The riches of the glory of this mystery. In the Old Testament, people saw examples of God's presence. Uh, in the 10 plagues, when the Israelites were uh, being delivered from exile in Egypt, they saw God's presence with the plagues. God was protecting his people while the Egyptians were feeling the wrath of these plagues. 
Specifically, in the 10th plague, God told them, I'm sending the angel of death, and if you slaughter the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, I will pass over your house. That's why they celebrated Passover. God was clearly with his people, protecting his people during that time. The Red Sea, when they had escaped from Egypt, and they're on the run, and now all of a sudden, all they see is water this way, and all they see is Pharaoh's army this way, and what does God do? God opens up the water so that they pass through on dry ground. Clearly, it was an example of God with his people. Uh, the, the people in the wilderness, after they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God provided manna for them six days a week so that they would not starve. The battle of Jericho, we recently, uh, seems like every couple of weeks, we read this story in our kids' Bible to our kids, but it's awesome. Here they come up to this giant fortified city, and God's battle plan is, why don't you just walk around it? Really? Just walk around. On the seventh day, let's walk around seven times and then blow your horns and, and shout and yell, and boom, victory. That's it's a clear example of God with his people, God working on behalf of his people. But no longer is God simply just dwelling among his people. God is now dwelling in his people. God is dwelling in you and in me if we are believing on Jesus. That is a great mystery. To think about the, the same God that Marcus preached on this morning from Isaiah chapter 40, this God who is big, who is above all creation, who created all things, whom all things bow down to, understand that that same God is the same God that dwells in you and me when we believe on his son Jesus. I think we would all ponder that for a moment and say, what a mystery that God has chosen to dwell in me, in my heart. And we're going to look at, at us here in just a moment. But Paul also says in verse 27, the mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory. The fact that Christ is dwelling in us is the hope of glory. Now, hope is an interesting word because we use it in a different way than what the Bible uses it. When we say, I hope, we typically mean, I would say that I hope in 2020, the New York Mets win the World Series. Now, I know that is very unlikely to happen. And you all know that too. You're all giggling. But that's not what the Bible means when the Bible uses the word hope. It's not that we're looking forward and in, in, in anticipating something we would like to happen. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's anticipating something that we know for sure is going to happen. There's no question about it. We know for sure and can be confident that what we are hoping in will happen. And Paul says this mystery which is Christ in you, is the hope of glory. Now, when we understand glory, we can understand that to be a lot of things, but I understand that to be God fixing all that is wrong with the world, God fixing the issue of sin, God dealing with all that is wrong and making it right, wiping away every tear, dwelling with him for all eternity. And and he says, Christ in us is the hope of these things. Now, here's a couple passages. 
Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14 says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul says to the Ephesians that when you believe on Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, that is the guarantee The coming of the Holy Spirit into the life of the believer is the guarantee of eternal life. He says that is the stamp of of guarantee. If Christ is in you, you will receive the hope of glory. You will receive that eternal reward. But also our call to worship. Romans chapter eight, verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, God promises, although the body is wasting away, and all of us are feeling that to different degrees, says, although your body will fail, the spirit inside of you will not. If the spirit is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. See, those who have the spirit of Christ dwelling in them will inherit this eternal life. Paul says it here to the, Corinthian, or to the Colossians as this is the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, we can know that, that our hope is set on Jesus and he will not disappoint us. He will not fail us. He will not fall short. That is the truth of this mystery. But secondly, I want you to see the Christ of the mystery. The Christ of the mystery. And, it, and it's amazing how these things work out. I saw in the bulletin this morning that the New Testament reading was Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. And I thought, wait a second. That's, my, that's the passage that I'm talking about this morning. I think Jerry must have got things mixed up. And then I realized, nope, that actually fits perfectly with, with Marcus's sermon as well. But let's look at, at verses 15 through 20. And we'll actually continue down to 23. He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. A couple things to note here. Paul talks about the greatness of Jesus in this passage. This is the Christ that is dwelling in us. Think about these things that Paul has just said about Jesus. And then I want you to think about this Christ is the one who's dwelling in us. He says he's the image of the invisible God. We know John 1.18 says that no one has ever seen God and that Jesus has made him known. He's the image of the invisible God. We cannot see God the Father. We have not seen God the Father, but we have seen Jesus. 
and he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He says he's the creator of all things. He's involved in creation in a unique way that nothing exists apart from him. That's this Jesus who's dwelling inside of you. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the creator of all things. He has existed always alongside God and the Holy Spirit from eternity past. In verse 17, it says he is holding all things together. Jesus is actively at work to keep the universe from going chaotically array. He's holding it together himself. It says he's the head of the church the church which is his body. He's the firstborn from the dead. Because Jesus has been born from the dead, you and I can also now be born from the dead. In him, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. He's making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the same Jesus that dwells in his people. Now, Paul then goes on to talk about the people that this Christ is dwelling in. Look at verse 21 through 23. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is what Paul says about you and me and about all people. He says that we are hostile, we're alienated, which means we are separated from God. We don't have a relationship. He says we are hostile in mind. Not only are we separated, we are actually opposed to him. That's what hostile means. There's not a good relationship. We are at odds. He says, doing evil deeds. Y'all, I hope you understand that this is the way the Bible describes all human beings. Alienated from God, hostile towards God, doing evil deeds. Y'all, when we do not live our life in submission to Jesus, this is what is true about us. No matter how we carry ourselves, no matter how much good or kind things we may seem to do from an outward perspective, y'all, apart from the blood of Jesus, forgiving us of our sins, this is what describes all of us. And this is what's true of all of us before we believed on Jesus. Alienated from God, hostile toward God, Like Romans 8 said, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to his law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are not in the spirit are hostile to God. But look at what God does. In verse 22, but he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. The way that we are reconciled is through the body of Jesus and specifically his death on the cross. That is how reconciliation happens. But look at what he does. You've been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So God takes people like you and me who are alienated, who are hostile to him, who are doing evil deeds. 
He reconciles us, but not only does he do that, he then presents us to God as holy and blameless and above reproach. That is what the work of Christ on the cross does for those who believe. What a glorious truth. That is what Jesus does. And Paul is, is telling the people, this is the same Christ who dwells in you. Think about that. He's the creator of the universe. In him, all things hold together. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the one who laid down his life. He's the one who cleans up sinful people and not only makes them presentable, but he makes them holy and blameless and presents us to God. Y'all, that is the work that Jesus does. That is the Christ of this mystery of Christ in you. This is a fantastic passage. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 20. But also if we read down through 23, understanding what he has taken us from and what he brings us to. But then we see verse 23, and this is important. We don't want to miss this. All of that is true if, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. See, it's amazing to think that if, even though I'm, I'm alienated from God, I'm hostile towards God, I'm doing evil deeds, he will take me and he will reconcile me. He will make me holy and blameless and above reproach and present me before God the Father and saying, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. If you indeed continue in the faith. Church, we do not preach and we do not teach that all you need to do is pray a prayer and you are safe with God or you are accepted by God. You must believe and have faith to the end. This is how we know that we're saved. First John talks about this. How can we know that we are saved if we remain and continue with faith? Y'all, faith is essential. But remember, when we believe, as God's people, he gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is Christ dwelling in you. That's the mystery that we're talking about this evening. The truth of it is that it's, it's glorious. This is the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, you can know and be confident that he will bring it to completion. Philippians 1.6. And look at what he's done. Look at how awesome this Christ is if we continue in the faith. But lastly, I want you to see the proclamation of this mystery. So we've looked at the truth of the mystery, which is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory, which is a glorious truth revealed to his saints, even though it was kept secret for, for ages and generations. We've looked at the Christ of the mystery, which is he's the creator of the world. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the one who has made restoration with all things. He's the one that brings us before a holy God as holy and blameless and above reproach. But now look at the proclamation of the mystery. Look at verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, Paul has been gripped by the truth of this mystery. Paul understands that there is no greater news in the world than to know that a sinner who is alienated from God and hostile towards him and doing evil deeds can be made holy, blameless, and above reproach. And that the Christ who does that work promises to dwell not just among his people, but in his people. If you are believing tonight that Jesus died for your sins to make you holy and blameless and above reproach before God the Father, he is dwelling in you now. And if you understand that, if you understand that Christ is dwelling in you now, that should motivate us to tell others. Y'all, this is why we are a missional church. This is why we love missions. We should not only love international missions, we should love missions when we go home tonight and we see our neighbor in the front yard. Paul says, him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We need to warn them of what happens if we reject Christ, but we need to teach them everything that Jesus has taught us. Teaching with all wisdom. And then Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, letting other people know about this mystery which is Christ in you is what is worth all of my toil and strength. But it's not just my strength. He said, God strengthens me to continue doing this. Now, now Paul understands that he is called, set apart as a minister of the gospel. But the reality is all the people whom Christ is dwelling in are called to the ministry of the gospel. We may not be called to stand up here and preach. We may not be called to be in the youth on a Wednesday night and to teach the youth. But all of us, if we've been forgiven of our sins, if Jesus is dwelling inside of us, God has called us to minister to other people. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present them mature in Christ. This is what Paul wants to do. This is the, the, the whole trajectory of his life is I want people to know that although they're alienated from God, hostile towards him doing evil deeds, how Jesus will reconcile you and make you holy and blameless and above reproach. Y'all, that's worth telling somebody about. That is the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And y'all, if Christ is dwelling in us tonight, may we be encouraged to go and tell others about him. That's the whole reason we're here. That's the whole reason that he's given us gifts, that he's given us his spirit himself to dwell in us, to be the guarantee of our eternal security, but to strengthen us to go and tell others. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this mystery, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. God, it's crazy to think 
that the creator of the universe would be pleased to dwell in Jake Beatty, to dwell in, insert your name. God, we thank you that while all of us are alienated from you, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that through the blood of Jesus, through his body broken, through his, his blood spilled, he can reconcile us. Take us from what we were and present us holy and blameless and above reproach before you. And God, we thank you that when we believe, when we have faith, you dwell in us. God, may we be encouraged by that. May we be strengthened by that. And may we understand that those around us need to hear this as well. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful mystery and the glorious truth of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.